Good morning and welcome. We've been, in, we've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. <clears throat> uh, we have the rest of this month to get through the end of this um, book and also 2 Thessalonians. So I've got five Sunday mornings to cover um, five chapters. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, 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 uh, yeah, wondering, so, sorry. <clears throat> we'll see. Uh, but I'm glad you're here and looking forward to your comments. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer, if you would bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be together um, to, with other Christians and people who are interested in your word. Um, to try and understand it in a way that we can apply it in our lives and be more um, transformed by it uh, so that we might be more like you. Uh, we ask that you would help us as we study this, these scriptures in 1 Thessalonians about this, this letter that Paul wrote to this group of people that were fairly new Christians, uh, considering the things that they were facing and how do we apply those things in our lives and how can we be encouraged and strengthened and be more productive in your kingdom. I ask that you would watch over the other teachers in this building and actually teachers everywhere, that today they might teach the truth in a stimulating way, whatever the age of their students, that the students might um, have a desire and an interest in knowing more about you um, so that we can not only please you, but serve you and uh, serve others as you would have us do. Forgive us of our sins so that as we stand before you this hour, we are seen as righteous in your sight. Um, and watch over us as we enter into a worship service in, a, in, in about an hour that we, uh, when we will be singing songs of praise to you and we will be remembering your son in the Lord's Supper and we hope that we will do those things in a way that is a sweet savor to you, that honors um, your son who gave his life for us and shows our gratitude for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so, extremely quick review here, but in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, we read this section and we got down actually to the first part, that end of that first paragraph, and we highlighted two statements in this section. Um, those statements were excel even more. Uh, we talked about how that although Paul for the first three chapters had, had discussed in this letter about how he had come to them, how he'd presented the gospel to them, um, the manner in which that he and Silas and Timothy had worked with the Thessalonians, and he talked about how they had received it, uh, what they had done in their lives, the big changes they'd made in their lives, and how encouraged Paul was because of their faithfulness. And he wrote this letter, as you will recall, fairly quickly after he had been there, having, having to leave Thessal Thessalonica uh, for persecution purposes, um, these people were there, and they were without Paul, they were without Timothy, they were without Silas when he sends Timothy back and writes this letter when Timothy returns from that visit with the Thessalonians. It's only been months, um, maybe a year at most, that probably they've been Christians. And so Paul has reached this part of the letter in chapter 4 where he's starting to give them some instruction. So now that I've encouraged you hopefully with this, what he's saying basically with the faith that you have encouraged us with, um, let's talk about some things you could be working on. And we talked about in this part of the, of the book this phrase, excel even more. Does anybody remember what we talked about last week that he talked about in the first case? What did he want them to excel even more in, in this first section? 
the top half of this. Belinda actually nailed it last week, if you recall. It was sanctification. Sanctification is something that we all strive to achieve. We will spend our whole lives trying to achieve. And he uses the purity of sexual immorality by maintaining that purity um, with regard to that particular topic to, to illustrate uh, what it means to be sanctified. Um, yes, was this a specific problem in Thessalonica? Is that why he used this? It could have been. Likely so. Or he probably wouldn't have used this example. He might have used a different example. So this may have been an issue, not only for the community, it certainly was for Thessalonica, but maybe even some of the Christian believers. So he uses this example to say this is something that, is an, that exemplifies what it means to be sanctified, to be pure in your dedication of your purpose in your life. I use the example in my case, I use the example of the, of the, the, the um, emblems, if you will, or the, or the tools, if you will, in the tabernacle. Um, the, the, the utensils, maybe is a better word, in the tabernacle. That when the temple was built, those utensils were brought into the temple. Um, it, it wasn't because the gold was any special gold. It was, came from a mind that no longer exists that made those holy. God called them in the Old Testament holy elements, holy utensils. Those things were holy. What made them holy? The gold? No. It was like any other gold you could get out of the dirt anywhere in the, in the, in the, in, in, in the world. What made them holy was the purpose they were built for. They were, they were crafted and put in the tabernacle specifically for a purpose dedicated to God. And that's the idea of being holy or sanctified. And we are those vessels today. We've been, we've been uh, responsive to the gospel. We've accepted the call. We've said, I want to be a Christian. I want to be united with Christ. I want to be dedicated to the purposes that you want me to be dedicated to, God. So I will live my life sanctified, set apart for one purpose, and that's to serve you. So Paul uses this to say, you guys need to excel even more in this regard. And the encouragement to us is, so do we. We are not perfect. We don't reach a point of sanctification and say, okay, I'm there. <laughs> we will strive to be this for all of our lives till the day we die. Later in the, in the book, in chapter 5, he's going to talk about, he's going to pray another prayer where he asks God to complete the sanctification of the Thessalonians. So just keep that one in mind. Um, that's what this one was at. The second one down at the other buzz, we, where we didn't get to. So we're going to hit that one today. Um, it was not after the word excel even more, but the topic of the second paragraph is before that. And I don't know if anybody will remember it. We highlighted it, but we didn't get to it. Oh, I should have said that sanctification is the will of God. Sanctification is because it says there in verse 7, God has not called us for impurity, but for sanctification. Um, so these are the things that he's talking about in that first section. The second section, and I moved it up, this paragraph up, because we're going to flow right down into the next, next paragraph of this chapter and finish this chapter, excel still more. The second section had to do with love. And that's what we're going to talk about right now, because we didn't get there last week. And the question that I asked in the, in the handout was, what does Paul teach them about love 
in verses 9 through 12. How do these instructions, how do his instructions in the following statements relate to love? And the first statement, if you'll read this real quick, now as to the love of the brothers and sisters, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you practice it toward all the brothers and sisters who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to excel even more. And then he makes these statements. And to make your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands, just as we, are instru as we instructed you, so that you, will have, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. And so my question was, what does Paul tell us about love it, with these statements that are at the end here? Like, lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, and work with your hands. So that's the question I'll pose for your consideration this morning. First one I'll say is, what's it mean to lead a quiet life? What's he saying there? It's a little different than the next one, which says, attend to your own business. So what's it mean to lead a quiet life? Julie? <laughs> I left my notes at home, but I, was, I think what I wrote was just not a showy life, not mm -hmm. trying to put yourself out there for everyone to see, not grabbing for power, not Yeah, so if you didn't hear Julie, um, not sh being showy with your life, not trying to grab attention, um, not drawing attention to yourself, that's good. That's actually... It's, it's actually almost everything. It's about all I have in the notes. Any other thoughts that you'd, that you'd add to that? Undisturbing. Undisturbing? Yeah. Always. I like to fly. I like to loop flying under the radar. Keep a low profile. Just don't draw. Flying under the radar? Unnecessary attention to yourself. And there's a qualifying word that you use. Unnecessary attention is maybe a good word to consider. Because we are supposed to be shining our lights, right? We're not to be under a bushel. We are to be the salt of the earth. A lamp on a lamp stand, not a lamp under a bushel. So what's it saying when we consider those things? What is, what is the chapter about love that everybody points to? 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. What does it say? One of the qualifications or one of the attributes of love is in regard to this little phrase. Yeah, it does not boast. Depending on the version you have, it might say it does not call attention to itself. That's what we're talking about here. So Paul's encouragement to these Thessalonians is what? Don't bring trouble to your front door, I think is what he's trying to say. Be Christians. Live life as Christians. Be sanctified, as we talked about. But don't go out of your way to call attention to yourself in a way that causes you undue, unnecessary difficulty. You're going to have enough difficulty anyway. You will be persecuted. You're living in a culture that is counter to everything that you've now decided you're going to do and live. So you'll have enough trouble. Don't make it worse for yourself, I think is what Paul's trying to say here. How would we apply that today? Mara? Oh, yeah. 
Did you raise your hand? Was that your hand? No, I didn't. Oh, well, go ahead. I thought that was your hand. I just saw a flash out of the corner of my eye. Not being contentious, and so we could, hmm. uh, social media, you could really be contentious with. That was the one I was thinking of, Mark. We can call a lot of attention to ourselves. It's just not necessary. It's not productive. I'm not saying we shouldn't use technology. It's a tool that can be used. I think we should use it. But I think there are ways that we can abuse it. And it's not just by being on it too much. It's by what you use it for, the positions that you might publicly take, the arguments that you get into um, with people in, in social media that are anywhere else in the world. To what end? What are we trying to achieve there? That's another, that's another fault. That's true. Cheryl? I was just going to say, um, you shouldn't boast about your charity. Yeah. That you should do. That's a quiet, you need a quiet life. I mean, you can do good works to other people, right. but you don't need to broadcast that to everybody. Yeah. So what do we think about when we look at the prayers that Jesus uses as an example? The prayer of the Pharisee and the prayer of the poor um, individual where the Pharisee his prayer was all about look God at all the things I've done and what was the other prayer I'm not even worthy to be praying to you God thank you um, that's what part of our Christian life should be when we contribute to things you know there's, there's passages that say let the right hand not know what the left hand's doing in that regard it should be anonymous in some things there are things we do in our Christian life that we will be rewarded for by God someday if we're doing it for the attention of mankind, then we have our reward. Barry? It's interesting that this is the same Greek word that is used in 1 Timothy 2, verse 11, when he says, I will, but a woman learn quietly. Mm -hmm. And the old King James translated it silence and really messed everybody up. Yeah. Because the same word is used here in places. It's not talking about silence. It's talking about an undisturbing way, in a way that's not uh, causing havoc, etc. Which none of us should do. But, <laughs> but uh, that that is uh, it frames that better. Uh, and the same word that's used when he talks in First Peter three about a wife is to live a quiet, be quiet with her husband. Well, okay, same same kind of thing. I mean, she's never talks to me that, that would not work so. right good principles and a good call out so that's the, that's the first thing he says lead a quiet life second thing he says is tend to your own business you might even have a version that says mind your own business um, what is he saying there what's Paul trying to encourage him to look for there yeah don't be a busy body what does that usually extend to when you're a busy body what's the next word that comes I mean, my, at least for me that the word that connects with that is there you go a gossip what good does that do you know if you're truly trying to help somebody you'll be involved in their lives as we talked about yesterday in our, in our group studies, you'll start to invest in someone else's life and you'll be looking out for that person's best interest. 
usually not by talking about them with other people. So, yeah. This is what Second yeah, he's going to get more on that. You didn't get my point. No. <laughs> this one and the next one, he's going to have to get through in the second letter. But yeah, anybody else add to this? Adam? I think um, both lead a quiet life and tend to your own business reminds us mind your own affairs. Yeah. <clears throat> in, a, in a time and a place when persecution was certain to come to their doorstep. They didn't have to go seek it out. Um, to, to me, it's uh, it's interesting to consider that. I mean, he's not telling them to avoid persecution in terms of, you know, don't. He's not telling them to give up their morals or, or to compromise themselves. But I, I I do think there's an aspect here of persecution's going to come, and so you don't have to pick up a bunch of dust and. Um, get in other people's affairs and other people's business. And I think that's religious. I, I think he's, he's potentially telling them, you can you can stand for the Lord, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go stand in front of the, the temple to whomever and you know yell at all these people. Um, th- that's going to come. The, the fact that you live lives as Christians, you, the, the combat, the clash <coughs> will come to you. Um, you, you don't have to go after it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And maybe the way I would say it, or, or just restate it, would be that um, there are probably very effective ways to evangelize, and maybe going out and standing in front of the, this wasn't in Thessalonica, but the, the, the tempest of the goddess Diana, and just pronouncing the gospel, it might not be the best place and time to be using your skill set profess the gospel. It could be, and I think what Paul's trying to il- illustrate here, it could be just by the way you live. Um, and there are times in better ways probably to evangelize, to talk to people about the gospel. I think they, that Paul would talk to them about how he did it. How did he do it? Now, Paul went to the temple. I mean, went to, to the, he went to the, to the uh, synagogue, and he taught in the synagogue because he was talking to Jews. He knew what they would, th- that they should recognize who Christ was. He started there, but then what did he do? He moved out of the synagogue, and he worked in smaller groups. But, yeah. Julie? Can line business possibly include, um, be careful how much advice you think you should voice on people? Yeah. Do you not agree with how they raise their kids, how they it could. their finances, whatever? I don't know. People, so Julie's asking, could this, could this actually um, blend into or bleed into um, other areas where you're advising people about how to raise their kids or how they should manage their finances and things like that? You know, it, all of that takes a great deal of, of uh, uh, skill. Um, you have, it, it, people are sensitive to things that they're extremely passionate about. And, and I think just, you know, passing judgment, telling people that they're wrong about something is <laughs> not probably the way to start a conversation if you're really wanting to change them and get them to see a different side of things um, you, you've got to start somewhere else and so maybe some yeah some tact would be well said Cheryl and then Adam uh, but if they come to you and ask you it's your different. opinion that's a little bit different that's different you, you, know, you still have to say it in a way that shows your love, though. Huh? <laughs> you still have to say it in ways that shows yeah. you love them. Yes, yes, you have to be loving about it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, but 
you have to come to the point. There's no other, there's no way of getting around it. I think we're going to hit some of that in chapter five as well as the way that you approach pe different people in different situations. There's a, there is a way that you talk to people depending on who they are and what their situation they're in. That's right. Adam? I think within these verses, it's also important to say that he starts with this by saying, we don't really need to tell you how to love one another. Um, and then, in fact, if you, I think when we say love one another, that's like within their group in Thessalonica. And then you practice it towards all believers in Macedonia. So like, we don't have to tell you how to act with your brethren at Woolen Hills. We don't have to tell you how to treat your brethren in Tennessee. Um, but then in the end of this section in verse 12, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders. So these, these verses are couched in, this isn't necessarily about how you behave with your brethren because you're good at that. Yeah. Um, but here's some instructions so that you can know how to behave with folks that are outside. And you anticipated my final question. That's what was oh, Paul's, no, that's okay. We'll say that because I was going to say, what's Paul's intention by mentioning these things in the first place? And it is because of what he says at the end. So that um, this will have this effect. So what's the last one? Work with your hands. That one's a little easier, I think. Maybe straightforward. Um, you know, is this, this is one, if, if any of you have, have studied anything about Second Thessalonians ever, you'll know that this was one that they had a problem with that they didn't listen to. Because what is this talking about? Mara? Well, that's okay. Go ahead and say whatever. Well, I'll feed off that. I feel like this is the other side of the seesaw. The first two were, you know, quiet, humble yourself. Yeah. But this is the other side, but that doesn't give you an excuse not to work. Right. You're not just supposed to hold up and then be dependent on people. I mean, it does say that. You'll not be in any need here at the end of this verse. Yeah, this is just work. Understand that, you know, you're Christians, but that doesn't mean that... And, and, and Jesus is coming. Remember, at the every, end of every chapter, he ends with Jesus is coming. Um, at the end of this chapter, he's going to talk about, you know, that this is going to be a time when Jesus does come and we're all going to be with him. This is, the most, this is the most detailed version of Jesus is coming at the end of every chapter. But that doesn't mean we just stop working. It's imminent, but it doesn't mean we just stop doing what we're doing. We have responsibilities. We have societal responsibilities, family responsibilities, and we have just responsibilities to how best to serve God. So don't stop working, basically, is what Paul's saying here. And then to, to, to Adam's point, and my question that I had in my notes is, so what's the reason that Paul's telling them to do these things? So Adam hit it right on the head. So that you'll behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. It's, it's one thing to be able to go to your brothers and sisters in Christ and ask for help. It's different. It puts you in a different place if you have to go out into the world and ask for help. It just raises all kinds of opportunities for the world to say to you, well, what about that God you believe in now? Why isn't he taking care of you? So this great gospel, the good news of Jesus coming and our ability to be reconciled to God and to be raised from the dead, which is the next topic he's going to talk about, if we're not able to present to the world that God cares for us, that we trust him to take care of us. And a lot of times that does come from our brothers and sisters in certain situations. 
But I think what Paul's trying to say is try and avoid putting yourself in a position where you have to rely on things from worldly people. It really puts you in a different light when then you want to talk to them about the gospel. So that's what I would say about this. I wrote a sentence there, bottom line. Here's what I said, bottom line. Love, love means that we will lead lives that don't draw undue attention to ourselves. We'll mind our own business. We'll support ourselves so that the world will see that we are God's people and that he is worthy of being praised. Loving this way shows, God our, shows our love for God and our love for one another to all people. So that's how I'd wrap up this section. Any other comments on that before we move on? So I, I put a, a question, a set of questions back there for the end of this chapter um, for reading or, or for consideration as we enter into this conversation this morning about this section and finish this section. Um, this, is a, this is just such a great section. Um, but let's read what it says there. So it says, Paul says, at the conclusion of that statement, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So the first question I ask, which should be a pretty easy answer, is what does the word asleep mean in verse 13? We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. The dead? Yeah, I could have shouted that one out, right? If there's any question about that, which to some there are, what that means, he kind of nails that one later in the verse when he says uh, in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we're talking about that to be clear, to avoid any doubt. So with that in mind, Who's Paul most likely talking about in this section? And why? And why would it be a concern to the Thessalonians? So we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve. Who are those people? Who are the dead that he's talking about? Julie? I think they're included in that group. Julie said, maybe those who've died because of persecution. Think about this. This is what I want you to think about. I said it in some of my intro there, or, or summary, or review. Paul, he hasn't been away from these people for but much, much more than or about a year. I think less, frankly. 
He got to Corinth and he was so worried about the persecution in Thessalonica. These were aggressive people in Thessalonica. They physically abused, before he even got out of town, physically, he, they physically abused some people who said they believed and were trying to support Paul and Silas and Timothy. So he's now gone. He gets all the way to Athens eventually. And the first thing he's thinking about is, man, I wonder how those people in Thessalonica are doing. He'd been to Berea. He wasn't as worried. Worried, but not as worried about the Bereans. They seemed to have a little bit better footing on where to have their confidence in the scriptures. But the Thessalonians felt like, I think he felt like, man, these people are vulnerable. And they're in an environment where they are physically being persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, maybe even kept from being able to trade for food. Um, so he's worried about them and he sends Timothy back to them. Of course, gets this letter, this report from Timothy. So something must have been said or some things have happened that Timothy enlightened Paul about when, when he gets back with Paul in Corinth. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. So I do think that even in this very short period of time, there were some who had believed, who were believers, who'd been killed for their belief. I also feel strongly about that because of what he says about how all of Macedonia knows about their faith. It's one thing to be faithful in, the, in, in, in light of persecution and there could be other things. You, maybe they're getting imprisoned. Maybe they're losing their ability to work. Maybe they're having to figure out what to do in some of those regards and that's spreading through all of Macedonia and other people are hearing about that but nothing would spread faster than hearing that, wow, a faithful Christian in Thessalonica was killed because of their faith. So I do think it includes that group. Who else would it include? Naturally. I mean, people die naturally. And it's been a short amount of time, but maybe there were some who just passed naturally. That were believers after Paul left, or while he was there, but now have just passed. So either way, you've got believers who no longer live. Adam? This, this may also highlight, like, we're not the only people that struggle with prophetic language. <laughs> and so, I think this shows that they understood that Christ was coming back. But passages that talk about how quickly that's going yeah. to come, um, often say soon. <laughs> and so they're like, well, it's going to be soon. Soon coming. People are dying, so how does this work out? Um, and then also the risk that they, they are having people die in the faith from persecution could lead them to say, well, if, if we aren't alive until Christ comes back, are those people not going to get their reward? Yeah. And so yeah. at, at that point, do you start, are you supposed to avoid persecution so you don't you know, risk losing your reward so that you can hopefully live long enough until, until Christ comes back? You know, we have a, we have a different view on this now. Because uh, we're still in soon, but it's soon 2,000 years later. And yeah. so I don't think many of us maybe struggle with this thought of as, as much as they did. <laughs> soon must mean before the end of my life. Yeah. So they had a different perspective. And clearly when we read in Second Thessalonians some of their reaction, that is true. They thought that he was coming and that meant like now, any day, like before I die. Jerry? 
And in that context, I really like the word asleep. Yeah. Because as we've talked about, we are a soul who has a body. Yeah. There's some really interesting things about the, word, the use of the word asleep that I could go into. I don't know how time, but we'll, I'll think about this. Cheryl. Could it possibly mean also that uh, some of the dead, the dead that have died before Christ's coming, they knew of it, but they were faithful to God? Well, that's a really good question that I hadn't thought of, but certainly the teaching about the blood of Christ and the way that it, it, it covers the past and the forward, those who were believers, those who were faithful, um, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't even thought about it, but yeah, that might be something that they would need to be comforted by. I don't think that that's what he's immediately addressing here, but it would be something that would be important for them to understand. John? Psychologically, it's crazy to tell them it's going to be 100 or 1,000 years before he comes. Yeah. They want you to live your life as if he's coming today. Yeah, well, we're going to get to that in the next section, but you're exactly right. Absolutely right. Very Every time I read this session, it's always amazing to me. Mm -hmm. They were struggling with that. And I run into Christians mm -hmm. all of my life who still struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Who still, who still will, are we really going to be able to see each other? Yeah. And I'm looking at this text, how much plainer can he be? Every verse, down to verse 17, every verse he's saying, you're going to see them again. And it, it is such a surety. Uh, and such an amazing promise. Uh, and, and I still run into Christians without it. Yeah, so go to, if you would, I, I, we don't have time to do this in depth, but turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, take your Bibles out if you didn't have them already open to 1 Thessalonians. Um, open them to 1 Corinthians 15th chapter. This is sort of like when you point, in my head, I point to 1 Corinthians 13 as one of the chapters, of the great chapters of love, of the characteristics and attributes of love. Well, here we are, a couple of chapters later in the same book, 1 Corinthians. Now we're in chapter 15, and this is one of the great chapters on the resurrection. Um, here you have some Corinthians. This is where Paul's writing the letter to the Thessalonians from. That's really bad grammar, but... It, He's in Corinth writing a letter to the Thessalonians about this. And years later, he has to write a letter to the Corinthians about this topic. That's what I find ironic about this a little bit. So you know that he's, here's why I say that. If he's writing a letter to the Corinthians, I mean to the Thessalonians about it while he's in Corinth, wouldn't any good preacher say, you know what? I should probably teach this to the Corinthians while I'm here, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you're thinking, wow, so then he still has to write this letter. But in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 20. It starts with what Barry just said. I want this, I want this, to, I want this to stand out. He's telling these people something that is a fact. If we believe it, it is a fact. My version says, the New American Standard Version says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So he uses the same wording. Now, we could go on and read a ton in 1 Corinthians 15 there. I, I did yesterday when I was refreshing my memory about this section. It is just so encouraging to read what's going to happen. As he says in that chapter, in the twinkling of an eye, that we will rise in the air to meet Jesus as it's described here together with those who are asleep who will precede us in the air 
And we will be changed in 1 Corinthians, it says, in the twinkling of an eye into the glory of what Christ has, into immortality. We will take on a body that isn't this body. Our bodies will be changed is what it says in 1 Corinthians. Our bodies will rise and they will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Hmm. And he's telling this to the Thessalonians. And says at the end of this section, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I tell you, if there's ever you need to be encouraged, sometimes spend some time thinking about what will it be like the day Christ returns? Imagine. It's just incredible to me to think of that moment when all the dead will be raised and we will meet them in the air as he's coming in the clouds and will be changed. Mm. Comfort one another with these words. Anyway, lots of hands. Mara, I saw you first. <clears throat> I love how comforting they are today. You too. Four years ago, our friends were killed in a tornado and their family and the ones that love them have hope. Yep. And I still have hope. Yeah, I can't help but think of Wilma. Staggering today. Yeah. I mean, it just gets to me. Who else I see? Cheryl and then Jerry. I was going to say, it's, it, it helps you not to be afraid of death. Yeah. I mean, if you're sick and you think you're going to die, you're not, you're not going to be afraid of that yeah. because you feel like when you do die, yeah. you are going to be saved and you are going to be Jesus. Yeah, so when, when we heard about Wilma, when, when Peggy let us know, uh, when I say us, I mean Chad and Danny and I, Danny was the first one to write back and he said, um, she's realized her victory. I just thought that was so good. Jerry. There are so many passages, Old and New Testament, that I believe are in the category of comfort. But it's especially poignant that it's pointed out here. God's used, verse 18, use this as comfort. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we learn? Just some context. What do we learn from the statement? This is question number two. In verse, um, in verse 13, what do we learn about um, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do who have no hope? If we have this hope, when are they going to grieve? You know? All these people in the world who are making fun of you or I or these Thessalonians about their crazy beliefs. You know, all the people that Peter used to, that Peter wrote about, because Peter's another one that writes about this, this topic. When, when Peter writes about those who are still walking around and saying, so where's the promise of his coming? 
Everything is just the way it always has been. So the people who just think we're crazy or weak-minded because we have this faith and we live our lives this way, they are the ones who have no hope who will grieve someday. Brian? I don't judge, but Going to a funeral service of someone who's not a believer? Yeah. It's a, it's a different, different mood. Uh, of course, Peggy's going to miss her mom, but it's not like goodbye period something so long to see you later. Right. right. It's an empty feeling. You can just feel the emptiness that's in the room. Because there's no, there's no talking about, oh, they're going to see Jesus. There's no talk of the future. There's no future. So that's why it's so empty. There's nothing there. What, what is there? What are they looking for? That it just ends, I guess. I, I, I mean, there's no hope. At least not for anything after the dead. I also think that there's a lot of times we use like a proper noun when we talk about the resurrection we call it the resurrection like I just did like we're looking forward to the resurrection and we believe in the resurrection frankly I think we could drop that article the off of that and just say we believe in resurrection Jesus was raised from the dead we certainly believe in his resurrection he set a path through death into life that we're told we can follow. We will follow him in resurrection. And that'll happen when he comes again. The next section is chapter, starts chapter 5. We're not going to start it because the bell just rang. Um, I don't know what that was doing there. That was a wild place. The next chapter is chapter 5. Which talks about, so when's this all going to happen? Starts by saying, so now as to the periods and times, brothers and sisters, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Sort of sounds like the last thing you said, right? About your love. About the love that you have for, the, for, for your brothers and sisters in all of Macedonia. You have no reason for me to, to write to you. So this is something that he taught them when he was with them. So you have no reason for me to write anything to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. I don't want to stop right there because I don't want to go into this section. But this is where we'll pick up. So when is this going to happen? And I had some questions on the back in case we got to this today. So you'll have them in advance this week if you want to do a little study ahead of time. Uh, they're there for you to pick up. Thank you for your attention and your comments this morning. It's such a great section. Um, and I was so much looking forward to getting to it. Thank you. Let's have a great worship of our Father.